0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.
1: Hey, hey, welcome once again. Disability Law Show. We are back at it. Good to have you along. Uh, Tamara Gopian is here uh, filling your head with all the knowledge you need to know if you're dealing with a disability insurer. And you're getting some static. You've been talked about. Oh, you can appeal this decision, so on and so forth, or just stuff you don't understand. We're going to cover a lot in the show today. You want to get your emails in anytime. We don't uh, just use them on the show. You can have those sent along to Tamara and her team anytime. They'll get back to you. Help at disabilityrights.ca and I want to mention a website that is free for asking questions as well it's baked into the title mydisabilityquestions.com it's free and anonymous really easy to use you can search the database for a uh, similar question to yours and then finally the phone number anytime always useful right one 5900 lots of emails to get through lots of stuff to get rolling but uh, right away tomorrow we always start off with a couple uh, case of the day things that you've uh, you've noticed and want to talk about what's going on with you pal
2: it's been a good week busy but a really mm-hmm. good week john and you know i was having uh some uh drinks and beverages with some mom friends last night yes i do call them my mom friends
0: <laughs> and <laughs>
2: uh, you know i happen to be chatting about something that actually came across my desk this week that i thought i would start off the show talking about and it's one of our listeners so shout out to one of our listeners who would reached out to our firm awesome and she'd actually been calling on behalf of her daughter who has been struggling with her mental health. And she'd asked us two really interesting questions. The first one was, you know, whether or not we had any mental health specialists or referrals that we could make to a mental health specialist, because we do talk quite a bit on the show about mental health conditions Mm -hmm. and how that relates to disability litigation, you know, what a disability insurer might do with a mental health claim. And so that was the first part of her question. So let's get into that piece of it. Unfortunately, we actually don't really have sort of a Rolodex of of doctors or health practitioners that we refer individuals to. You know, in the context of a legal claim, I may send a client to an expert doctor or specialist to be assessed, but I wouldn't generally be making referrals to someone to provide actual treatment for an individual or a client who requires um, specifically even mental health treatment. There are lots of resources out there, but I think the tough reality, John, that a lot of our clients are facing, and clearly a lot of our listeners and perhaps people close with them is that there's a massive backlog. And so I think individuals are really struggling with not only dealing with the mental health condition, but also getting appropriate treatment for that mental health mental health condition. And so right. I was super sympathetic for this caller, you know, because we really didn't know how to direct it. And I it made me think that look. You've got to really be engaging whoever your primary treatment provider is to try and direct this um, health uh, condition for you and to make those appropriate referrals. I know a lot of people get referred to CAMH. I know a lot of people have through their employer plans uh, access to EAP and other counselors that are available. I think for free or certain sessions are for free. I mean. I think that those are good starting points. I don't know if that will lead you to actually developing a relationship with a therapist on a more consistent basis. I just, I'm not into the weeds that that much with the treatment providers per se, but I thought it was an interesting question that she had asked and then followed with, here's the other interesting bit. the There was a claim being made or expected to be made to the to an insurance company for coverage for this mental health treatment through the extended health care plan. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but okay. essentially what this um, caller was saying was that the extended health care plan had some exclusion, apparently, that would have prevented from her daughter having complete coverage for the uh, treatment that she required for her mental health. I'm assuming some sort of therapist or psychotherapy. And I thought, again, what an interesting thing to talk about because actually we don't talk a whole lot about extended health care even though it is related to typically the package that you get from your employer that includes disability benefits. So it can be very much so the same insurer who's providing an individual with not only coverage for short-term and long-term disability benefits, but also for extended healthcare uh, costs. So in other words, dental, you know, medication. Like I said, psychotherapy, some therapeutic treatment. And there usually there's caps on that, right, John? And so, you know, I think that it's again something interesting, but something that's a little bit outside of what we normally deal with. So, yes, we will most certainly, when we're advancing a legal claim against the insurance company, we will include the costs that an individual has borne, has had to pay out of pocket to get the treatment that they need for their disability. That is absolutely part of the, the disability claim. The reality though is is that insurance companies typically will compartmentalize what they pay dollar for dollar as it relates to disability benefits versus what they pay for extended health care plans and they are actually quite distinct and in some respects, it's a totally different insurance company. So for those of you out there who are thinking, look, tomorrow's talking to us week in and week out about disability benefits, same insurance company. This has got to mean that she's talking about extended health care as well. No, no, it's, it's actually very different. And so what I encourage this particular caller to do is, look, make that application. You know, I, I would say that even on the disability front, make the application, make the claim, see what the insurance company is going to say as a response to you, then by all means, if the response is no, then let's get into the weeds a little more about whether or not we can assist typically not on an extended healthcare plan, but if it's an exclusion that's being used, that doesn't make sense with what the policy is intended to provide, then I'm happy to weigh in on that by all means. And of course, talk about it and and lean on the experience that I have with disability insurers about how that may play itself out. So, I thought that was kind of an interesting one, a little bit different, things that are not necessarily concrete, John, but if this listener is still <laughs> out there and listening to, uh, to the radio waves and is interested in what we can do with these types of issues, if it sounds familiar by any means, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, even if it sounds like it's a little bit outside of what we normally talk about day in and day out.
1: And that number that uh, Tamar is talking about to reach out beyond email, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 5900 I think these questions come in, whether it's a little bit outside your purview, not that you can't help, but because it's confusing and it's daunting dealing with insurance companies, especially when you're in a weakened state like a disability insurer. So, uh, of course, people are on tenterhooks when it comes to knowing how and who to reach out to to deal with it, right?
2: Absolutely, and I think what troubles me the most is that normally the employer is the one who's supposed to answer these questions right. at first instance right that's like yep. that's where people are supposed to go is you're supposed to go to your you know employee booklet your hr representative someone at the company who's going to be able to direct you is to look this is where you need to apply for this this is what you have coverage for this you know those answers should be read, readily available and i'm finding more and more john that people just can't seem to find those answers and so i'm absolutely happy to give you my best guesstimate about where you should go what the answer might be but at the end of the day you know for us what we see is usually when an individual is having trouble with the insurance company so you've got to get the process going there's not you know yes we've got lots of resources to help with making say like an ltd application but if you're making an extended health care claim or even perhaps a life insurance claim or a critical illness claim these are all a little bit different accidental death and dismemberment claim there's all these little bit different types of insurances insurance uh, coverages that individuals have under the broader umbrella of a group plan with an, with an employer And oftentimes, you know, even the company doesn't even know how to direct you on what to do. So again, starting point, make the application, don't hesitate, you get a response, you're not sure, that's really where you want to be asking us some more directed questions, and see whether we can assist because the concepts are the same john, this is the thing, you know, if an insurance company is looking at their policy and they're declining you with an improper interpretation of that policy, then there is a basis of a legal claim potentially, especially if there's compensation to be had at the end of that. Like there are some, you know, critical illness claims, for example, John, or, you know, we talk about sometimes mortgage protection disability insurance, that's another product that we don't talk a lot about. But the concepts and the definitions to qualify for these disability benefits are very similar to the ones that we talk about day in and day out about disability and an inability to work and therefore a payment that should be made by these insurance companies. And what frustrates me is that when those payments are not being made, I don't know how many people are just sort of giving up. And I right. don't want people to give up. I want people to get information about their rights and explore with us at the very least, have that free conversation with us to explore whether or not there's something we can do. Because if we can, then there's compensation at the end of that tunnel. And we're more than happy to assist people to get there.
1: And again, reaching out, help at disabilityrights.ca. And that number, keep it, 1 855 821 5900. What else you got going on, pal?
2: Yeah, lots of start to stuff to start off the show with. Um, <laughs> and it's an oldie but a goodie, uh, mediations. I'm going to talk about mediations yep. for a couple minutes, John. Um, so this is a non-binding process. You know, mm-hmm. it's one that is required. It's a mandatory process in certain jurisdictions, uh, including Ottawa, including Toronto, including Windsor. And so what ends up happening is once we start a legal claim there's actually a window in which the insurance company is required by the rules of civil procedure to sit down with us and have these this mandatory mediation process and lo and behold i have an an insurer this week the lawyer for the insurer who's resisting my suggestion that we do this mediation process within the window that's required under the rules and look, uh, we, you know, I'm up to the challenge, John, you know this, and I'm happy to have the good fight. But I was actually scratching my head because there was also a case that came down this week that was interesting, not a disability one, but one that was in the context of an estate litigation, so wills and that sort of thing. And what the court did, what the judge did specifically in that case was to slap the wrist of the defendant who refused to do a timely mediation. So what I take from that, and they, by the way, they ordered costs against the defendant and enhanced a uh, measure of costs against the defendant was awarded in a situation like this. And my takeaway from that is, hey, insurance companies, listen up. Courts don't want to see you guys delaying any litigation, let alone disability litigation, particularly if there's an avenue under the rules that's being encouraging the parties to sit down and try and hash this out to sit down and get a resolution and get it early so that it's not going all the way before the courts and the judges with pesky hassles and fights over things that could have been resolved between two good lawyers, two good parties, sitting down and having a real conversation, which is oftentimes where we we achieve a really good degree of success for our clients, John. So mediation, it's the way to go. And if you're not going that way, insurance companies, courts are not going to like it.
1: And with that, we will take a short break. Lots more to go. Claire, thank you so much. And Janko, by the way, thank you for your emails, guys. We'll get to them here in just a moment. We've got more stuff to discuss on the other side. But in the meantime, I'll give it to you again. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. And we continue. This is the Disability Law Show.
0: All right, welcome
1: back Disability Law Show. John Scholes here and always Tamara Gopi and courtesy uh, Samfiru Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country to reach out to Tamara and her team, always ready to have a chat and do their due diligence about informing you about uh, whatever peril you're in when it comes to a disability law insurer. There's always answers and there's always some relief. You just got to reach out. 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address, help at at DisabilityRights.ca, as promised, Janko. Thanks, pal, for uh, for hanging in there. We're going to get to uh, your email right now. It says, "Hey, tomorrow, I have a rare and serious heart condition." That came on suddenly about seven or eight years ago. Turns out I had a number of mild heart attacks that I wasn't even aware of, and my cardiologist has been adamant that I stop working in my physical job. Over the years, I went back to work anyway, but each time I stopped working again because of my heart. I even tried doing office duties for a while, but any sort of stress gets my heart going, and I get dizzy and lose my breath and rush to the ER. The insurance company knows all this, but they cut me off anyway at the... Two year mark because of my heart condition is stable. Both my cardiologist and family doctor clearly stated to the insurance company that I should not be working at all. CPP disability even accepted me. I'm off work to prevent a heart attack. Isn't this enough reason?
2: Janko, well, it should be enough reason, shouldn't it? It yeah. should absolutely be enough reason to stay off work. Uh, and so let's unpack this a bit, John. So what Jenko is describing for us is an otherwise stable condition that is triggered by, I'm assuming, some level of stress or perhaps some measure of work. And he says to us to us that he's been on this journey for a number of years and to his credit, has actually attempted going back to work multiple times, not at his physical job, but what he describes as office type work. This is usually the fallback, right, John, for our insurance companies. They will decline claims and say, look, you know, we accept that you can't go back to your physical job, but we don't accept that you can't do a sedentary job, a job where you're mostly sitting down and you're answering some phones and doing some light duty work. The thing is, though, if Janko has already attempted this, and it sounds to me like he's attempted it multiple times then I think the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. The His doctors are saying, don't put yourself back into that situation. It's a serious heart condition. There are symptoms that come up when he's put in that workplace situation, even in a lighter level. And I got to wonder where the insurance company's looking at this and thinking, well, maybe he doesn't have long to go. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're looking at their uh, change of definition and thinking, You know there's a partial work capacity here and that's what he should be doing i'd be very interested to see the letter or letters that janko got from the insurance company justifying how in the face of all of this they are going to cut off his claim so that would be my starting point in terms of the analysis because as i say to oftentimes to people that i speak with even on the phone You know i don't put a lot of stock in what the insurance company is necessarily saying in their decline letter but it allows me to read between the lines as to what might be motivating the decline or perhaps where there could be a little bit of a gap that i'll need to fill but the bottom line would be to janko you've got to start a legal claim here this is not something that's acceptable you absolutely would meet the test of total disability under the disability policy because guess what? He's already met what I think is a harder test to meet, which is the one for CPP disability. CPP disability, for those who may not know, who may not be listening to the show as regularly, is a government-sponsored disability benefit. It's one that's available to individuals who meet a, a certain criteria for eligibility. And that criteria includes being uh, disabled severely and for on a prolonged basis. So severe and prolonged are the two key elements Mm -hmm. of the test to be approved for CPP disability. And we just don't see those kinds of words, John, in the definition of disability in most of the disability policies. They simply say, you know, are you totally disabled either from your own occupation or any occupation, some occupation, by the way, for which you've got at least the minimum, you know, education, training, and experience, so some minimum qualifications for And that's the analysis that the insurance company has to do just before the two year mark in order to justify cutting off the claim. And so I'm not sure what Janko's background is, but I got to think if he's been doing his physical job for a number of years, perhaps his education, training, and experience is frankly probably limited to what other types of jobs he can do. Right. And, you know, I don't think that it's sufficient for the insurance company to say, well, your condition is stable, even though you've got a proven track record that every time you go back to the work setting, that it triggers your symptoms and you're right back to the ER and you're at the risk of having another heart attack. But insurance companies don't like stable conditions, John. They don't like the idea of paying a disability benefit on a preventative basis. That's not what they view the purpose of their disability policy is. And so that can be a bit of a fight with the insurance companies to say, well, hang on, if that's not the purpose, then what is the purpose? (laughs) I often have that conversation with the insurance company to say disability policies are supposed to be a peace of mind policy. Courts have said that very clearly time and again. And so if an individual in a situation like Janko cannot rely on the disability insurer, then what else is that there for? So I'm sort of scratching my head on this one. I got to say, I'm sort of screaming to me as if there is a basis for a legal claim. I'd want to start by looking at the uh, decline letter and really getting into the weeds with Janko about what information has actually been supplied to the insurance company for the medical support that, in fact, just because he's in a stable state doesn't mean that the doctors are recommending that he return back to work.
1: Well, just because there's accurate and, you know, he's got things that'll bolster his case doesn't always mean the insurance companies just say, okay, you know what, You're right we will back off. Sometimes they just, they don't care. They're going to cut you off anyway and hope that you don't start a legal claim because it's that David and Goliath thing again, right? So hence yeah. the reason why we're doing the show. You know what I mean? Abs-
2: absolutely. And I, I think what insurers, at least adjusters at the front level of the frontline people seem to really lose their way on is that the courts if there's a legal claim are absolutely going to prefer Janko's doctor's opinions on his uh, ability to work and his state of health over anything that the insurance company's own doctors or assessors are actually saying or uh, weighing in on so for example you know if Janko's insurer has gotten a medical review and many insurers do this, usually around that two-year mark to, to bolster their decision, right, to cut off the claim, they'll get some internal doctor to do a paper review and take a look at just the medical records. Don't, they don't talk to Janko. They don't talk to Janko's doctors. Just, you know, look at the paperwork and they'll make a decision and they'll say, you know, our opinion is that he is capable of work uh, at a sedentary level and should, you know, is no longer disabled and he should be able to do something and the insurance company will use that medical review as the basis for them to justify declining the claim. And courts have said again, time and again, that that medical review is not really worth much. It's not worth the paper it's written on, frankly, when you've got an individual's own doctors, and in Janko's cases, cardiologists as well, a specialist, a heart specialist, confirming the opinion that he is not capable of working, given his condition. And so when you weigh that, you're right, John, that they can, it can feel like a David and Goliath situation, but as you often say, and remind us on the show who won that battle. right? Yeah. And so this is the thing that we get into, but people have to exercise those rights. They have to decide, look, this isn't just, this isn't fair. I need to rely on this disability benefit. I am going to engage and retain a disability lawyer and fight this with the insurance company. And it'll be all a problem. And I think in a scenario like Janko, I think it's a bit of a, you know, open and shut kind of situation. Once I get in and talk to the insurance company's own lawyer, not the adjuster, that's not who's going to be dealing with this. It's going to be their own lawyer. And I'm going to talk to them about the things that they know about very well, as well as I do, that the cases will favor Janko and his profile, that he will be deemed totally disabled and benefits will be payable.
1: And we've often mentioned, we've done entire shows on this, but I wanted to throw that in there at the end of uh, Janko's email. He mentioned CPP disability, even accepting him. That is a good thing. And people often wonder, what is it? How does it relate to my long-term disability policy? And should I be applying for it? Right?
2: Yeah. Again, really, really good question, uh, John. And I think it goes back to what I was saying at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. If there is a benefit to apply for Apply for it. (laughs) Like, I don't see a lot of downside to not applying for it, most especially CPP disability, because the benefit is there. You've paid into it much like you would have. You know, you, you, you pay your taxes, you pay your premiums much like you do for disability benefits. And so I don't see a lot of downside in applying for CPP disability. But the process is different, right? And and this is a um, uh, government-sponsored disability plan. Uh, You're going to have to get the paperwork together, get your doctor to complete the medical certificate. You've got an application to complete and submit all that to Service Canada. And then it can take a number of months is what I've been told from many clients, like four to six months sometimes to get a response from the government about whether or not you're approved. And the main thing that individuals need to know is that if you are approved for CPP disability, it is separate apart from what happens with long-term disability. So right. in Janko's case, just because his long-term disability benefits have ended, doesn't mean his CPP disability is gonna end either, right? It's, an, it's a different process. But the way the two work together is that the long-term disability insurer will get a credit or a deduction for anything you get for CPP disability. And that includes, by the way, any sort of retro payment. If you get a retro payment, for example, where, you know, uh, the government has said, look, we accept that you've been totally disabled for this past year or so. And here's, you know, $12,000 as a retro payment, just to put a number out there, John, $1,000 a month, sure. you know, 12 months. The, and you also received long-term disability benefits in that 12-month period. The insurance company gets all of that 12 grand, dollar for right. dollar. And it's harsh and it's difficult to accept, I find for most people. But this is why the disability insurers are writing their policies in the way that they do, John, is that they put it in a way that they can get credits for all these different things, most especially the CPP disability aspect of it. However, I still don't see a downside in getting approved for CPP disability, even possibly pursuing it as an appeal, even as much as you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to suggest that against the disability insurer. But I think what I like about CPP disability is that it is separate and it can continue as a financial source for individuals while we take the time that we need to fight, you know, the insurance company for their benefits, right? So I I really don't see a lot of downside in the uh, CPP disability application where you've got, you know, the support from your doctors that you've got a severe and prolonged disability, Mm -hmm. where the likelihood for a return to work is low and where you're, you Potentially concerned about your disability benefits either being cut off or not continuing in the time frame that it should, then by all means you should be pursuing that CPP disability benefit.
1: And there you go. Let me let me ask you this question before we uh, get into a short break here: Can an employer, we're talking about your job now, influence whether someone's approved or denied for disability benefits? Is there some Mm -hmm. sort of link there?
2: Good question, John. Yes, there could be. There could be. Um, I mean, look. I'm never going to necessarily be able to prove it, per se, right. but but, but I, I do think there is some influence, and, and here's why. Most people are applying and receiving disability benefits under a group insurance plan, yep. and that group plan is with all your coworkers, right, under your employer's uh, banner, and the employer will always be asked uh, by the insurance company, look, what kind of employee is this claimant? know have there been any workplace issues is there an absenteeism problem what can you tell us about this employee those questions will routinely be asked by disability insurers whether it's for a short-term disability claim or a long-term disability claim so you should be aware that your employer is going to advise your your disability insurer about what's been happening at work before you went on your leave and that may influence what the disability insurer will do there's a very classic scenario that we talk about a lot on the show, and that's usually you know, the, the toxic work environment, the harassment and that impacting the mental health condition of an individual, and that leads them to a disability leave. That most certainly where the employment issue is wrapped up with a disability issue can really influence what the disability insurer might do. But here's, let's pick this up after our next break, John. We'll talk a little bit more about it.
1: Sure, Will. And as we get into a break, I'll give you the contact information for tomorrow anytime. one and help at disabilityrights.ca. That's always the email address we go to, so you can use that anytime as well. Any other questions and more information can be found at mydisabilityquestions.com. Short break, and we'll continue with more Disability Law Show. Hang on. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian is here, courtesy Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Reach out any time to get the advice you need. And anything else when it comes to dealing with your disability law insurer, if you're having uh, having some problems, you need information, it's easy to get by calling this number, one 855 821 5900, help at disabilityrights.ca as well. Tomorrow, just before the break, we were talking about the uh, the nuance of the employer possibly or maybe not influencing whether someone is approved or even denied for disability benefits. Uh, continue on uh, down that road. What do you think?
2: Uh, absolutely. Thanks, John. I, I wanted to get into this idea of where the two might intersect. And the example I was giving was a situation where someone may have mental health conditions, anxiety, depression, this sort of thing triggered by what's happening in the work environment. And I find generally that disability insurers really resist approving disability claims when it's really born from a workplace issue. Rightly or wrongly, by the way, I don't agree with this necessarily, depending on the circumstances, but inevitably what the disability insurer will do is they'll get this application for uh, you know, a mental health condition The doctor will most certainly put in their workplace stressors. And depending on how the health issues are described and what the employer may tell the insurer about what's happening in the work setting, that sometimes makes its way to a decline. And in the decline letter, they'll say, look, this is a workplace issue. You need to work this out with HR and your employer. Um, You know, we think that you could still work, but in a different setting, you got to make some tough choices about your employment. And it's not always correct that's that, that's the thing that bothers me the most but you can see that the employer has a role in what decision the disability insurer makes yeah no kidding they are the ones who are remitting the premiums john to the insurance company of course that they have the insurance company has a lot of duties and obligations to the employer they, they don't want to make the employer upset they want to still keep getting the premiums that's right. bottom line that's what they want right so you know, they are going to routinely prefer the information that the employer gives them over what the claimant gives them. I mean, I've seen this happen, John, even in situations where individuals report their income, right? So we know that the disability benefit is usually two-thirds of what anyone is making before they become disabled and not able to continue working. So it's a percentage, usually 66.67%. Some policies at 60%, some at 70%, but give or take, it's a percentage of what you're making before. And so the reporting of what you're making before becomes very important, right? So you're going to be saying, well, you know, I make, you know, a base salary of X and then I get X amount for commissions. And I also get this bonus and I get this paid and that paid. This is my salary. And insurance company is going to say, okay, employer, what, what do you guys say about what your income amount is for this particular claimant? And I have seen a lot of times where there's a big difference, actually, because the insurance policies will only cover, say, the base salary and not the commissions, not the overtime, not the shift premium and this sort of thing. And the insurance company will prefer what the employer is reporting not only on income, but also what your job is, what your duties were, were you accommodated before you went on your disability leave? All of that is very, very important information that the employer will provide to the disability insurer, and then the insurer will make a decision. The other way that this kind of plays together is the first part of the claim, the short-term disability part, sometimes is actually paid by your employer. So the insurance company is only providing administration or administrative services for the disability application. And is not the payor, they're not the ones, it's not their money that's getting paid out, John. It's money from the employer. So when that dynamic exists, absolutely there could be an impact from what the employer is saying to the disability insurer about not only whether or not you should get approved the basis of the disability, if there's performance issues, but also once approved, how much you would have been paid. So look, I think most people listening to the show, they're like, oh my goodness, tomorrow this could be a whole, you know, hornet's nest. Yeah, you're right. It could be. But, you know, sometimes in situations like this, ignorance is bliss. So go through the process, make the application. You provide your, you know, application information, the basis for the disability claim, open an honest dialogue with your claims adjuster and see what the insurance company says. If they're giving you an unfair shake and you feel that the employer might be influencing the decision unfairly, then guess what? Pick up the phone. Give us a call. Let's have a chat about this. Let's get into it. And what I'm going to recommend on our call as I would on the show is what are your doctors saying? If your doctor is saying you can't work, full stop. You meet the test of disability. There shouldn't be any sort of interference or influence by anyone in that decision making. You shouldn't be working if your doctor is recommending that you don't. Then it's a question of Look, who do we pursue for compensation in a situation like this?
1: When it comes to uh, you know the insurance company reaching out to your employer and dealing with you, kind of that that trifecta of people involved, is it a very common, uh, very common technique for the insurance company to look at? Well, if not for this particular workplace, if you work somewhere else, this would not be an issue with you. Yada yada yada. So we're not going to cover you. That sort of thing.
2: Unfortunately, there can be that dynamic, John. Uh, Because it's easy for the disability insurer to take that position, right? right? It's easy for the like it's it's another excuse, right? Another reason to decline an otherwise valid disability claim. Uh, And, you know, they'll use whatever reason they can to to, to deny valid disability claims. Because guess what? The employer's still remitting the premium, John. They're still making their money, right? So if they don't have to pay out the money, then that's better for their profit margin. So look, um, you know, but in all seriousness, that situation does come up quite a bit uh, because you can see the interaction between having, you know, health issues that are exacerbated or aggravated by the work setting. And so this is why what your doctor describes as your health condition is very important. Uh, And if the opinion is that you can't work in the same job, but even in a different work setting, if that's the opinion, then you should be covered by disability benefits. So the key question is, look, if I took, you know, some individual, Joe, uh, and said to Joe, look, you can do your job as a truck driver for a different company. Could you do it? And if Joe says to me, no, tomorrow I couldn't. My doctors are saying I shouldn't be working. Okay, that's the end of the conversation. Insurance company, he is totally disabled. He should be getting his disability benefit. And the doctor is supporting that he can't be working in in even in a similar setting, at least at the beginning of the policy, John, we know that's what they're looking at is the own occupation period of the disability policy.
1: And with that, let's take a short break, and we'll come back on the other side with more emails and questions. Uh, you want to send one along anytime; It might appear on the show sometime. If not, tomorrow's team will get to it. Help at disabilityrights.ca, a place to ask your questions freely and anonymously. There's a database you can search of previously asked questions. I didn't mention that at the beginning of the show. It's really handy, by the way, mydisabilityquestions.com. And some people just prefer the good old-fashioned phone call. That would be one 821-5900, really, really simple. So take, uh, take full advantage of that. And we'll continue with more Disability Law Show. Hang on.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.
1: All right, welcome back. Few minutes to go. Disability law show. Tamara Gopian always here. And informing you you want to reach out to Tamar, there's a phone number that you can use anytime. one 855 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address claire used it said hey tomorrow the insurance company says i misrepresented my health history and therefore my disability coverage is void they refunded the premiums i paid but now i can't work and don't have insurance to cover me while i'm off can they do this
2: oh claire that's interesting and i wish i had a few more details on your email um So I'm going to guesstimate a little bit as to what's happening here, John. I think that she might actually have an individual disability policy. So a little bit different than we talk about on the show. You know, some obviously are associated with group plans and and an employer, a large employer. Uh, I got to think that if they've uh, made her disability coverage void and refunded the premiums, that it's an, an individual or a private disability plan. And here's what I think might be happening insurance companies will issue what they'll do from the start. And sometimes it's with a broker is they will ask you to complete an application for insurance, individual insurance. Okay. I'm not talking about the one that's set up with your employer and you will be asked to answer a series of questions about your health. So you, you know, have you had certain health issues in the past five years or 10 years? Have you had any, you know, operations or surgeries, any sort of medical intervention, it's a quite lengthy application to ask about the details of your health. And the reason why these applications are sought is because the insurance company will then take this information and they will rate their premium based on the information that you provided. Uh, This is a lot of complicated underwriting stuff, John, that I don't even wanna really get into. But at the end of the day, what they will evaluate is your health what type of risk they think they've assessed you at, and they'll plunk out sort of a number uh, that they will give you this policy to cover you for, it sounds to me like disability insurance in Claire's case, provided you pay us X dollars every month, every year, whatever the case might be. Right. And so very different than the evaluation that you might get even placing like an auto policy or you know a homeowner's prop- property uh, uh, policy. So an individual disability policy will definitely go through your health and you have to be completely honest and very accurate in the information that you provide about your health in these kinds of forms because if it comes out down the road that you haven't been accurate even if it's been inadvertent in terms of uh, not providing enough information or perhaps being a little inaccurate and you're like oh i had forgotten about this one treatment that i received from this one doctor then unfortunately the insurance company is going to say look We think you weren't completely honest with us in in what you described. So if you are not uh, explaining all of your health history to the insurance company, they have a right to say to you, we think you've misrepresented your health history. We don't think that we properly rated this at risk for us. We're going to refund you all the premiums that you paid to us, and the policy is done. It's void. And by the way, they can't void it until they refund you the premium so they have to do that that's part of their job but then the question becomes well what do you do you know if if it's not intentionally done is there recourse here can you force the insurance company to pay out under the plan when they've determined that they think that you've misrepresented your health history and that can be a little bit tricky i gotta say the area of law around misrepresentation on an insurance application um, will say that even if it's inadvertent even if it wasn't done Fraudulently or intentionally, that the insurance company, if they can show that they would never have given you the policy in the first place, or if they had given you the policy that the premiums would have been much, much higher, for example, then they are entitled to say, Nope, you know what? We didn't want to cover you in the first place. Had we known this information about your health history, we would have never given you this policy. So it's an interesting area of the law. Um, Not a lot of case law on it, actually. Uh, and we don't often see these situations uh, because I think what people get as a response, and I suspect Claire has the same, is that, oh, there's fraud. So they think, oh my goodness, it's fraud. I never did fraud. I mean, I I don't I, I didn't want to be fraudulent. What do I do here? Um, and so I do think it is important then to get a copy of the question as an answers of your application, make sure you very clearly understand what the insurance company is saying was incorrectly reported and line that up with your health history. So before an insurance company can make a decision like this, John, usually they have to get some of your clinical notes and records. There's a period of time that's relevant in doing their analysis. So you want to know, if you're Claire, you want to know what did they look at? What did they evaluate? What was their concern? Which question was it that they thought I wasn't you know, being honest about? Because if they've had an improper analysis much like the analysis we talk about with total disability and other coverages, if they've put in the wrong analysis here, then you do have a basis to challenge the insurance company. And the onus will be on the insurance company to show that there was misrepresentation, whether intentional or unintentional. So really, really interesting question. Thanks, Claire, for reaching out to us. You know, I'm interested in getting into the weeds a little bit in her situation as to whether or not there is even a basis to challenge. But if the insurance company has done the right analysis, unfortunately, there could, that could be the end of the line for Claire. Unfortunately.
1: And the doctor will, will focus heavy on this uh, entire thing, I would imagine, as well?
2: Absolutely. So uh, you do want the cooperation from your own doctors yep. about you know, what information is being put over to the insurance company, you don't want there to be any question marks, at least at the point where they're evaluating the disability claim and the coverage, right? So they're doing two things in Claire's situation, they're looking at her application for disability coverage. And they're looking at what the basis of the policy was and saying, well, it could be say, for example, john, it's a back issue. So she's got a back issue now. She's not able to work now as a result of this back issue, but perhaps has had this back issue for 10 years. So maybe she didn't disclose to the insurance company that she's had this back issue for 10 years. And that's why the insurance company is getting hot and bothered now seeing a claim for which they didn't have for full disclosure when they put the policy on 10 years ago. Just as an example, as I'm sort of trying to figure out what's happening in Claire's situation. So, yeah, the doctor is very important here. The medical information is very important and the details are very important because, again, the insurance company is going to try to hang their hat on something. And Mm -hmm. if that something is not accurate, there's always a good basis to challenge
1: and with that, we are done. I will give you some contact now that we are wrapping forward the day to reach out to Tamar and her team. They're always good for a chat, just like we do in this show. How do you do that? You call 1-855-821-5900. Email address we always refer to and go to is help at disabilityrights.ca. And finally, another place, a free and anonymous place for you to ask questions concerning yourself or anybody you know, maybe a friend or a colleague, My disabilityquestions.com. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.